we are in a series now called what? Anybody remember? Full. I heard a couple people say it. I gave somebody a dollar and wrote it on there before so they could read it. Oh, yeah, full. Anyway, uh, we are talking about Colossians. We're looking at the fullness of God and what it means to be truly full. Because what we look at in this world is we try to find fullness or completeness or try to fulfill ourselves in so much stuff, so much junk, and it never, ever does a trick. Um, I shared just a few weeks ago about when our family got to go spend a few days in the mountains and Josiah and I rode in a, in a tandem kayak. And I also alluded to a time back when Sherry and I were first starting to date way back in college. And we rode in a canoe together. You know, that, if you can outlast that, you'll stay together forever. And so I knew she was the one because even though there was a temptation for her to hit me in the head with a paddle and push me over in the Pasquotank River, she resisted. Uh, I mean, she cocked it up one time, but then she tried to act like she was paddling, but that's it. But I, I'm telling you, it was an adventure, and I will tell you, we did argue. We did fight in that canoe because we, neither one of us were expert canoers, but I knew a little bit, and I was in the back, and she was in the front, and she wanted to be the one that steered. But if you know anything about a canoe, especially two people in it, the person in the back does more of the what? Steering. The person in the front is more for helping with power, right? You know, you're just helping get some good traction in the water and, and move yourself forward as you paddle. But she wanted to steer a lot like life now. She wants to steer. I let her steer a lot more now than I used to because she's trained me well. She carries around a big paddle in her hand for one thing. I'm just kidding. But <laughs> y'all are like, Ew, that's awkward. Anyway, <laughs> but <laughs> but we were we were arguing because I knew that I needed to be the one to kind of guide which direction. And if you aren't on the same page and you got one person in the front trying to steer and one person in the back, you end up doing a lot of what? Kind of going in circles or going nowhere. You know, you're kind of just fighting against one another. And can you relate to that in real life? I'm not even talking about just marriage and things like that. I'm just talking about life. Can you relate to wanting to be in control but not being in the right place to be in control? To wanting to be in power, but not having the right mindset or the right knowledge to be in power. Can you relate to that in your life? I mean, there have been so many times in my life when I wanted to make all the decisions. And I wanted to control this and I wanted to control that. But I didn't have the perspective. I didn't have the knowledge. I didn't have the right place, the right position. And I certainly, a lot of times, didn't have the power to be in control. And it's the truth that you and I have to realize is that all of us pretty much want to be in charge. There are some people, I've learned this, there are people that will tell you, oh, I don't want to be in charge, but then in the background, they're trying to do what? They're trying to control and steer every little thing. You know, some people are just more out front about it. They're all in your face about it, you know, like, I'm in charge here, you know, I don't care what the name on the door says, but I'm in charge. You know, there's some people like that, and they're going to tell you. And then there's all across the spectrum, in between those two types of people. But the truth is, is that we want to be in charge. We like things the way we like them, and we want them to be that way. Sometimes, like I said, we're better at hiding it than others. But we want power over our life. We want power over our future. We want power over sometimes our relationship with God. We want the power. We want control. But unfortunately, a lot of times we just don't have the perspective. We just don't have the power. We just don't have the wisdom for it. And the church at Colossae was really no different. The church at Colossae was this church, as I mentioned already the past couple of weeks, was a church in what we call Asia Minor. And this was a letter that's one of the prison epistles. While Paul's in prison, he wrote this letter to the church at Colossae. And he, this was a church he didn't start, but he 
long to be an encouragement to them. And so he writes in this letter to challenge them on a few things. And there were some false teachings that were going on in this church. Overall, it seemed like it was a pretty good church, but there were some false teachings that were going on. One of the big ones is this. Now, get ready. They were not sure about the deity of Jesus. They were not sure if Jesus truly was God or if he was just a moral teacher, maybe just a good guy who had some good thoughts. And then they tried to blend popular philosophy that was going on at the time with Christianity that they were supposed to be following and some other religions because that that world and that time and place was overrun with all sorts of religions. And so there was a lot of combining going on. And then there was the, the struggle that they had of trying to make people follow Jewish traditions. Some of the people within the church would have come from a Jewish background, and they were convinced that you could be a Christian, and that's what we all were and all needed to be, but you also needed to go back and keep the old law. So all you Gentiles, you need to go, and you need to follow the law, and sometimes that meant circumcision, sometimes that meant a lot of different things. But they tried to combine things. They even worshipped angels. Some people were struggling with that, and all kinds of other false teachings. So Paul's writing this letter, and he's saying, look, there's some things we need to work on, and you've got to figure out who's in charge. Now, some of you are already awake enough that you picked up on the irony here. But a lot of times we would think, we'd read those things and we'd be like, man, these people, it's this ancient time. We're much more modern. We're much more understanding. And we'd say, we don't have those same kind of problems. But if you take a deeper look, we've got basically all those same problems. There are people within our world who really don't believe that Jesus is God. And they struggle with his deity, and therefore, what does that mean about what we do with his teachings? They say, oh yeah, he's a good moral teacher. And there are even people that claim to follow him that say, yeah, I, I like this part, but I don't know about this part. And depending on what you think about Jesus depends on how much you need to follow and how much you need to obey. And you say, oh, well, this is God's word, but I don't know if I need to follow it because maybe it's outdated. Maybe it's not exactly what we need. And we wrestle with Jesus possibly being just a good teacher but not really being God himself. And man, if we don't struggle with blending popular philosophy with what we believe about God, come on, we know we do. There's so many, I mean, every time you turn on the television, every time you get on a website, you would be hard-pressed not to find somebody who's trying to combine popular philosophy, you know, new age thinking, so to speak, with how we follow God and say, well, you can take God's word, but then there's other things that you need to combine with it. You know, you need to think more clearly. You need to follow this idea, follow this way of thinking. There's a saying, though, in business, and it's often used in leadership in any capacity, that leadership is the lid. Have you ever heard that? Leadership is the lid. And it's the idea that the, the organization, the business, uh, or, or maybe even the church, for that matter, won't grow past the leadership. You know, if you're at work and you've got a boss who's just not very capable, it's going to hold down your business, right? Whatever your business may be. And so leadership often can be the lid. And that, that principle has probably got a lot of truth to it. So if you're starting a business or if you're trying to fit, fulfill a high position in that business, you want to make sure that the person that you're going to hire to take that position is very capable, right? You want to make sure that the lid for the organization is very, very high. And the person that's making the decisions and guiding the, the culture of this business knows all the answers and, and, or at least can find the answers. Well, don't you think that that principle probably, uh-oh, all right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach no matter what. 
Somebody, somebody was shooting at us. But anyway, I was way off. That was a long ways. But here's the thing. When it comes to your life, you need to make a good decision about who's going to be in charge. I struggle with thinking that I know what's best for me. Can you relate to that? Most of us struggle with thinking we know what's going to be best. But when we're trying to decide who's going to be in charge of our life, when we're trying to decide who's going to be in charge of our church, when we're trying to decide who's going to be in charge of our family, you know, fill in the blank, who's going to be in charge of this world, we need to make a good decision instead of just casually saying, oh, it's going to be me and I'm going to make all the decisions. I know exactly what's best. Maybe we need to consider Jesus in that position. And so Paul writes to the church at Colossae, and I believe he's challenging us as well to consider Jesus for the leader. Here's what he says in Colossians chapter 1. If you've got your Bibles, if you haven't already turned there, Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. We're just reading a small passage of Scripture this morning. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. And this first idea that Paul lays out to the church at Colossae is this, is that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 says this, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Let me read that again. The Son, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now, this, the Greek word there where it's translated image is a word that literally looks and sounds a lot like icon. You know, we've all heard that icon. You know, it's an image of something. And the, the Greek understanding here is this. It's the exact representation of, or maybe it carries the idea of this, if, if this helps it make it a little more clear. It's like looking in the mirror. So when you see Jesus and you see his qualities and his characteristics and you see his heart and his passion, it's like you're looking into the face of God. How come? Because he is God. Exactly. That's right. He is God, and he is the image of the invisible God, the God who no one had seen, who Moses wanted to see him, but could only see the, the backside of his glory as he passed by, and he had to be hidden in the cleft of a rock. If you want to see God, not so much the way he looks, but the way that he is, then look at Jesus. Jesus is the firstborn over all creation, it says in the last part of that verse. Paul, though, before he moves on to that, he makes sure that you remove any doubt of Jesus' deity. He is the exact representation of God, is what he said. But that word firstborn there is kind of interesting. Because you can read that, and let's be honest, you can read that verse, that part, firstborn of all creation, and you could possibly say, well, does that mean that he was created first and then everything else was created after him? And what's interesting is that Paul was actually addressing sort of that idea, is the idea that maybe these people thought that Jesus was created, and then, oh, maybe he had some hand in creation, but he says something really interesting here. We're going to talk about it a little bit more as we move on. But he says the firstborn. Now, the interesting thing about this word, it's a Greek word. I don't usually talk a whole lot about Greek words. I try to study them and understand them, but sometimes it's good for us to all be on the same page. There's a word that sounds a lot like this. It's, this is my best pronunciation, and, and I may uh, murder it. But it's uh, prototokos. Prototokos, that word firstborn. It's used a lot of different places in the New Testament. And the way you understand it is based on context. There's sometimes that it literally means the first one born. There's sometimes that word is used in terms of a hierarchy. 
this one is in charge and everything else falls underneath it. And, and what Paul is saying ultimately here is Jesus is the one. He is above all. He is the prototokos. He is the prototype, maybe, is, is a little bit where that word might have come from. He is the one that we look at and we see as being over all and above all. He is above. He is the chief. And he's addressing their struggle. They have a struggle with wondering if Jesus is God. And he's saying, look, he is in charge. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. And he wouldn't have implied that Jesus was created if he knew that's what their struggle was. He uses this word, and I'm going to show you here in just a second why he, I believe he used this word. Look on at verse 16. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So he says here in Colossians 1, he says that Jesus is the creator. He is not a created being. He is the creator. All things were created by him and through him and even for him. He is before all things. I love that. It's not just that he made these things. He is why we exist. You and I exist for God's glory. We're made for him, for his good pleasure. He loves us so much. You know, Genesis chapter 1, if you ever read through that, and I encourage you to read through it, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, on the days of creation, when it's time for man to be made, mankind, man and then later woman, it says in Genesis 1, verse 26, let us make man in our image. God speaks in the plural. Let us make man in our image. You see, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Father have been there since the beginning. When they were creating, they were creating. Uh, you know, God does not have a physical body until he came in the form of Jesus, but he has always, we're made in the image, the, the mindset, the likeness of God, where we love and we have creativity and we have the power to make and create, but not the way that God does. But he said, let us make man in our image. And then in John 1, sort of the, kind of like a, another Genesis account of the New Testament, just sort of in a more poetic fashion, even still. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is that Word. Let me read that again, make sure we understand that. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Jesus is the creator. He spoke just as well as the Father and the Holy Spirit. And he spoke and made things to be as they are. But he's also the sustainer. And I'll tell you what. In a time like 2020, when it seems like everything is falling apart, isn't it good to know that not only did he create us, but he sustains us? Is that he sees us through? Look, look at what it says there in, in verse 17. Ultimately, it can be described like this. He holds everything together. Verse 17 again says, he is before all things. And we can understand like that like this. He is. 
He is. He always has been. He is the I am. He even said that in his ministry, Jesus did. He has always been there. He is before, above, and around time. He is not bound by time. He is a strong foundation that you and I can rest on and hold on to and cling to. He is the rock, and we must realize that he can sustain us. You know, it's sort of mind-blowing to think that sometimes we have a really high opinion of ourselves, a little bit too high. But if the speed of the Earth's rotation was just a little bit faster, we might go shooting off into space. Or, you know, I mean, it, it's a crazy thing. You know, if you think about the distance from the Earth to the sun, you know, we're just the right distance where we can live and thrive. And even though, you know, here in North Carolina, this is deep winter, right? It's about 57 degrees right now. Everybody's, everybody's freaking out. You know, if we were just a little bit closer, we would be burned up. This planet would be inhabitable. If we were a little bit farther away, we would be frozen ice crystals. What you guys feel like right now, right? You know, it, it's a beautiful thing that God made us and he put us where we need to be. We've got the laws of gravity. We've got all these other laws of science that just point to the glory of God and his great wisdom. And to know that he holds everything together so encouraging but let's be real y'all it's nice to know that you know we're not going to go shooting off like in a cosmic slingshot it's nice to know that but it's even better to know that he sustains us when your marriage is struggling he sustains us as you wait for the report from the doctor to find out what's going on with you he sustains you when you don't know if your child's ever going to come back and live the way you know they need to live. He sustains you when you don't know if you're going to be in this next round of layoffs. He sustains us in the greatest ways possible, but he sustains us also in the ways that might be minuscule and all, all in between, all along the spectrum. Jesus sustains us. He holds everything together. And I want to ask you this. This is maybe one of the most important things. How are you doing in that category of holding everything together? When it comes to just your power, when it comes to just your knowledge and your perspective, how are you doing in that? I know the answer. You're failing miserably, right? Because I am too. When I try to do it on my own, when I try to do it on my power, my wisdom, my perspective, my knowledge, I'm failing miserably. And so it's time for you and I to continue to give our lives back to Jesus and allow him to sustain us because we cannot. When it's left up to us, our lives often fall apart. And we're hurt and we hurt other people because we know that truth that hurt people hurt people, right? We hurt other people when we try to be in charge. Well, there's also another thing that Paul teaches. He teaches that he is the firstborn of all creation, that he is the preeminent one. He is the prototokos. But he also teaches that Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. Look at verse 18. It says, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. You know, there's that word again, firstborn, and it's the same word as we talked about in, in verse 15. But here it leans, I believe, a little bit more to the first idea that maybe pops into our mind. He is the firstborn born among the dead. When he came to this earth, he, he humbled himself and was born as a little baby in a manger. And then he lived his life and carried out his ministry and then allowed himself to be sent to the cross. He chose the cross 
And he died on the cross for yours and, and my sin. And Satan thought that he had won. He thought, man, my plan has, has vanquished this so-called King Jesus. I have defeated him. He is dead. And that was on Friday. <laughs> but then Sunday came, right? Sunday came, and man, Satan was terrified because Jesus walked out of that grave, and he was the firstborn from among the dead, never to die again. You see, even in Jesus' ministry, he raised people from the dead. There have been times in the Old Testament even when people were raised from the dead, but every single one of them had another funeral, didn't they? But Jesus, when he went and went in that grave, and when he walked out of that grave, he never had another funeral. He's alive, and he reigns today. He is the firstborn among the dead, and therefore he's the head of the body, the church. And I love what he says. See, I believe Paul's making a, a play on words, and I think that's why he used that same word in two different places, and I believe in two different ways. Here's what I think he's saying. I believe he's saying he's the boss of creation, where he said firstborn. He's the first to come back to life, so that makes him the boss of death. Because death was a powerful weapon that nobody else could defeat. Every single person, every Caesar, every king, every leader of every, every civilization died and was defeated by the ultimate enemy of death. But Jesus walked in the grave, he took the keys, and he kicked the dog on the way out. And that's not nice, but he said, I'm in control. Because the Greeks believed that there was a three-headed dog, Cerberus, that guarded the place of the dead, Hades. And that way nobody could enter in that wasn't supposed to be there. Nobody could leave that had gone behind the gates. But Jesus is like, uh-uh, three-headed dog. Boom, get out of my way. And he walks out, and he's king, and he's alive. He is the boss of creation. He's the boss of death. And therefore, he is the boss of everything. Because there's a third word that's based on that same word, prototokos. The same word that's used there. And he is the preeminent one. He is the one of all power. Everything, in everything, he might have the supremacy. So here's the thing. If you're wrestling with control, To speak the words of the uh, prophet, Dr. Phil, how's that working out for you? <laughs> my tongue was firmly in my cheek when I said that. But how is that working out for you? When it comes to, this is the way I think my life should go. This is the way I think my career should go. This is the way I think my family should go. This is the way I think this world should go. How is it working out for you when it's all under your control? It's time for us to submit everything under his feet, the one who's the only one that has the power, the one that has the position, the one that has the perspective to make the decisions to guide our lives and guide this world. So when you're wrestling with control of your life, when you're wrestling with control of your faith, and even when you're wrestling with control of, of church and the world, it's time to submit. It's time to surrender. Jesus is the only one who can lay claim to that job. His resume is the only one that holds up under scrutiny. The firstborn of all creation. The firstborn among the dead. And I know the answer to this, but I'm just going to ask it for us to think about. When was the last time that you created something from nothing? 
Anytime I'm working on a project at home, even if it's something I'm building and making, you know how many trips I got to make to Lowe's? 37. 37. Because every time I get back, I'm like, oh, I need this. And as much as I may want to do it, I cannot create the materials to build whatever it is I'm building or fix whatever it is I think I'm fixing. Because we cannot create from nothing, but God did. He can. He continues to create new lives out of broken lives that have been destroyed. He created everything just by speaking. Jesus, the word of God, spoke and we came into existence. This world came into existence. Have you had much luck at sustaining physical life? Nope. Have you had much luck at even sustaining your own emotional life? <laughs> when it just comes to you and holding it all together, we all reach times when we feel like we're going to break. And then ultimately, have you died and come back from the grave? Physically, probably not. But the beauty is, is that spiritually, the answer can be yes. But it's all because of the firstborn among the dead. You see, Jesus is fully qualified to run your life, his church, and this world. He's the only one. So it's time to listen to him. He's God. Listen to his word, his way, his truth, except his life. And here's the beauty of God's word. You and I can, we can come back from the dead because Jesus did first. We have that promise. And Paul, later on in, in Romans, paints this beautiful picture. This beautiful picture where he talks about when we're baptized into Christ, our old self dies and we're raised spiritually to walk in a new life. And it's the promise, it's the promise that one day your body will do the same thing. You know, when you surrender your life to Jesus because you believe in him and you want to leave your life of sin behind and you're, you confess him as Lord, you call on him Lord, you're lowered in the watery grave of baptism and you die spiritually and you're raised up to walk in a new life. And it's the promise that not only will that spirit, that spirit's been made new, but one day, one day, every grave will open. And every dead person will be raised. And those who are still alive, it says, will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. In, in a flash, in a moment, they'll be changed and will have the new bodies to go with the new spirit. It says in Romans 6, verse 3, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. And so we, because Jesus was the firstborn among the dead, we can also defeat death because of him. And that's the greatest hope and the greatest joy that we can ever have is that this world is not the end. A couple of years ago, I happened to see a story. And a guy uh, named Chris Gursky had gone to Switzerland, and there's some beautiful mountains, and he was there in, I believe, November 2018, and he decides he wants to go tandem hang gliding. You know, where a hang glider gets on, they strap you on, and anyway, the interesting thing about the story is, it starts off, it says, a Florida man, Chris Gursky. <laughs> 
And if you know anything about Florida, man, I'll talk to you about that later, but that's just fitting. So Chris Gursky's going to go tandem hang gliding with this guy. And he is supposedly strapped in, and they've got the whole thing on YouTube. They've got a GoPro camera out front so they can see his face, but then somebody's, they also have one behind to catch everything looking out and seeing what they're seeing. And as they get ready to push off the side of this mountain, they're at an elevation of roughly, they end up being about 4,000 feet above the ground. Really quickly, as they push off the side of that mountain, they realize that Chris Gursky, Florida man, is not actually strapped in. He is not strapped to the hang glider. He is not strapped into the pilot of the hang glider. And he is literally the only thing holding him from dropping about 4,000 feet to the ground is his left hand and his right hand. And you can go on, and I, I encourage you to watch the YouTube video. You go on, you can watch it. Don't do it right now, I'm talking. But go on and watch this thing because it is the most... I'm. I'm not deathly afraid of heights, but I would be deathly afraid of heights at that point. Even watching the video makes your stomach churn because you know at any moment. I mean, the houses down in the valley are, you know, they're like tiny, minuscule on the video. And he's up there and literally he's hanging on and he's got this death grip and he uh, writes some little headlines on the video. And he's like, you know, I think my hand pressed into the metal. He was squeezing and he literally tore his bicep tendon because he was holding on so tight. And he uh, holds on to this other guy. And one time he's hanging by one hand because he has to switch his grip and try to get a different grip. And so literally the only thing keeping him on there. And I'm thinking, man, isn't that so like our lives? You know, I mean, there's, there's so many roles that we fit into in this. Sometimes we're the guy that's barely hanging on. Sometimes we're the guy who's the instructor who's supposed to be a pro and supposed to know. And, and in the article that you can read about it, it says that that's the first thing you're trained to do as you go to take people hang gliding. The first thing you do is you lock them in before you ever think of taking off. But the guy just let it slip his mind. And he didn't clip Chris in. And he almost plunged to his death. And man, it's just, that's, that's the way our lives are sometimes. We think we know all the answers. We think we're so safe. We think we've got it planned out. We think we've got it plotted out. But really, the only thing that you can do, and I'm flipping the analogy here for a second, the only thing you can do is cling to Jesus. The only thing, yeah, look at that, the wind. The only thing you can do is cling to Jesus. And I'm here to say that's what we're called to do, church is that we think we can do it on our own. We think we can do it with our wisdom, but we need to understand that we have to cling to Jesus, and that's our only hope, because he is the one who is able. He is the one whose resume fits the bill. He is God, and he is king, and we are not. So what we want to do in these next few moments is take time to remember. There's an opportunity here we haven't surrendered everything to Jesus to do just that. But even after we've surrendered everything to Jesus, it's so easy each week to drift, right? It's so easy to think, oh man, I'm a hang gliding expert. <laughs> and then you're going out like a madman about to drop to your death, you feel like, or a mad woman. <laughs> but the good news is, is that Jesus has paid the price and Jesus paid it all and that your perfection or honestly your lack thereof and you're not even coming close to perfection is covered by his blood and by his body that was broken for you so we're going to take a few moments and we want you to think about what the significance of the body and the blood of Jesus means the fact that you can have life and you can have Fullness in life and fullness in Christ, not because of anything you've done, but because he is good enough.